Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Caleb. Hi, Caleb. Hi. Um, just grateful for Big C uh, Outreach and just what they're doing. You know, Pastor Tyler has been talking about the, the desire we have as a church to be connected together with nonprofit organizations who are doing this ministry, this type of ministry. And Big C is a great representation of that. Big C is really capital C, the church, not just one local church, but the church working together. Even Don, um, he's part of right here at River Run, and, and Susie's a part of First United Methodist, another church in the community as the body of Christ coming together to serve our underserved uh, community in Bithlow and to show the love of Christ in that community. So I encourage you to find out more about them, connect with the ministry, be a part of that with Big C, uh, love what they're doing. And, and for me, it, it, it serves as one of those things that compels me and challenges me. What does it look like to really live out the hardest thing we do, which is love? Love the Jesus way. Right? Love is the hardest thing we do. And we've been, that's the focus of this whole series. We're walking through the book of Jonah, but just considering this idea of love. And I think also maybe defining what does that look like? What does it look like for God to love people? And then what does it look like for us to love people? I think the challenge of it. Um, but just before we get going into today's passage in Jonah chapter 4, I do want to acknowledge if you're a guest today because you came last night and you're like, man, this is such an awesome time. We had a great time as a family. I'm the guy that looked like a Christmas elf. Um, and, you know, I don't know what that says about this church, but a guy that looked like a Christmas elf throwing candy at kids last night is standing up here talking today. So that's, I guess, how it goes around here. But um, I did not wear it. Uh, somebody asked me if I was going to wear that today. I said, no, it's hard enough to get people to take me serious. I cannot try while wearing an elf costume. But, um, yeah, I want to pray. And we're going to jump right in to Jonah chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't have them, it's okay. The scriptures will be here on the screen. But I encourage you to really track with us as we walk through this chapter together. So Lord, we love you um, imperfectly. You love us perfectly. And God, we bring ourselves as we are to you today in worship. We bring it to you in the worship of the scriptures as well. To, to gather to you, to worship you through the study and exploring of the scriptures. That God, you would speak beyond what I can do in my own strength. Lord, if, if what I've got to say isn't what other people need to hear, would your Spirit speak to them? And would it speak to me and through me as well? We welcome you to uh, guide us and teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're looking at the book of Jonah, and we started in Jonah 1. And just a quick recap, if you're new to the story so far, Jonah chapter 1, God shows up to this prophet named Jonah in Israel and says, hey, I want you to go to a distant land, to the worst of the worst, of the world of that day to the city of Nineveh. And I want you to warn them that they don't turn from their wickedness. Destruction is coming for them. And Jonah says, I'm buying a ticket for a boat. And he jumps in a boat and he sails as far away as he can. He tries to run from God's presence and God seeks him out. Jonah, in his rebellion against his God, tries to run from him and God chases him down out in the sea, brings a storm. Jonah ultimately ends up tossed into the sea and he is going to drown and he is going to die in his own rebellion and sin. And God in his mercy rescues him in this fish. Boom, he gets swallowed up. Pastor Tyler talked about that a couple weeks ago. He gets then spit up on the shore. And then God says, hey, you want to go to Nineveh this time? And he says, yeah. And so he has Nineveh to go tell Nineveh this. And he goes there and he announces to them this reality. He says, hey, for 40 days, he goes around. He says, 40 days, because of the wickedness of this city, you're going to be destroyed. By God, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That word destroyed, it's interesting. There's a lot of play on words as we get into the passage today, but it means to be turned over. This city is going to be turned upside down. 
because of your wickedness. And Jonah goes around for 40 days and he announces this. And the response to that announcement, we're supposed to, if we're reading this originally, the book of Jonah, we're supposed to find a surprise in the response to this. At the very worst of the worst, people known for their horrific war practices, their moral complete just chaos, they cry out to God. They put on sackcloth and ashes, which is the ancient symbol of saying, hey, we're repentant. We're, we're dead before this God, and we are in mourning of our own sin. So help, please. And it brings us to the end of chapter 3, verse 10. And this is what happens, is that when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil way, they put a stop to their evil way, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Now, this is put a stop. They put a stop. It, it literally means they turned around their ways. Amen. They turned around their ways. That They came face to face with the reality that they were before a God and that either they could turn their life over to God or God would turn their city upside down. And they turned their lives over to this God and when it says change his mind, don't mistake that for God saying like, oh, oops, that's not what it is. The, the Hebrew word is nacham, which means to be moved with compassion, to respond. That it's the nature of God that he responds with compassion to those who cry out for help. And so they experience that. So God's no longer going to show this judgment to them. He's moved with compassion. And in the scope of the scriptures, both Jonah and us, we, we shouldn't be surprised that God responds like that. We shouldn't be. In Ezekiel 33, verse 11, Pastor Tyler read this last week, but I want to bring it back up again. God is speaking through Ezekiel about the Israelites, but he's talking about all the people in the world that are wicked, that are, are enemies of God. And he says this, here's how I feel about my enemies, God says. I take no pleasure in their death. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. Turn. Turn from your wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die? That's God's heart to Israel, who's been given all these blessings of the Lord and all this love of God, and they have rejected Him. They spit in His face. They've rebelled. And now they are facing their own destruction, just like Nineveh. And here's God's heart behind that to say, you know how I feel about my enemies? I don't take pleasure in their death. I want them to turn so they can live. So please, turn, turn. And in the story of Jonah, at the end of chapter 3, Nineveh turns. They don't know all the story. They don't know how to do everything right. But what they do is they turn from their ways to God and say, help. And then God responds. And what we see throughout Scripture about God's heart when it comes to his enemies, so then obviously how it comes to his children is that when God looks at the world, God wants everyone to experience his love. But not everyone will, but God wants everyone to experience his love. Then when God looks at those who are wicked and rebelling against him and who even hate him, that God says, I don't want you to die. I want you to have life. God says, please, please, I want to show you mercy and forgiveness. Come, come to me. That's God's heart. And I want you just to think for a minute before we keep rolling. I, I think it's helpful to have in mind, think about 
the person or peoples or people groups that you despise. Right? And don't look at them if they're in here. (laughs) Who do you despise? This this is supposed to be in mind for us. It's what Jonah's going to be confronted with as well. It's it's what Israel's confronted with through this being set in their scriptures. Who do you despise? And I think for us, and we, in the way we apply it, a couple other groups to think about. Who, who, who repulses you? Who do you hope not to see? The, the neighbor that you hope they're not outside. Let's get, like, let's get really in the real part. The coworker who you hope you don't have a meeting with. The family member you hope doesn't call. Who, who, do, who, who repulses you? Do you want to say, okay, and then who, who do you dismiss as unimportant? As I've been thinking about this the last couple days. Okay, what does this look like for me? Because I'm not necessarily going to a 120,000 person city of, of wickedness. Now, maybe I am. Maybe I'll go to, around Orlando and start shouting this in the street. But, but, it's not necessarily my application, okay? So, so I've been thinking, well, okay, who is it that the way I act sure does seem like I don't care if they know God? Okay. This passage is going to have something to say to that. This book has something to say to that. Also, it has something to say to us if we have felt despised, if we felt like we've been treated with disgust or repulsed, Others are repulsed by us. Or if we have felt dismissed as unimportant, this book has something to say to us about the God of the Bible. All right. So God wants everyone to experience His love. And, and, and so God wants everyone to experience His love. And, and, and it's for the wicked as well. He wants them to. He's seeking them. He's pursuing them with His love. And the Bible tells us that, hey, here's the reality. And we read the passage last week. I think it's from Romans 5, that we're all enemies of God. Like, the reality is that None of us are good like, hey, we really deserve that God to be like, hey, Caleb, I pick you. You're my man. You've done it so good. No, none of us have. In comparison to God's holiness, all of us are the sinful. All of us are enemies. So therefore, all of us, apart from mercy, have a problem. And Jonah should know this. Because literally just before this in the story, in chapter 2, he experienced mercy that he didn't deserve. He experienced undeserved mercy from God. When he ran from God, he, he rebels against him. And then when faced with the reality of, of the judgment against him, they're in a storm in the sea, he does not repent. He doesn't say, God help. He says, kill me. Throw me in the sea so I'll drown. He goes down and yet God shows him mercy and sends mercy to rescue him. And listen to what Jonah sings. It says, Jonah wrote a song from or about that experience. And here's what he says at the end of that song in, in chapter 2. As my life was slipping away, I remember the Lord. Says, As I was descending into my own death, my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. He's saying, look, as I was sinking down into the depths, that, that uh, all I knew to do was help. And I turn towards God. And those who look to other things, they have their back to the mercy of God. But it's there. But he says, that's not what I'm doing. I turn 
And I offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. I'll fulfill all my vows. It's just a big Hebrew way of saying, I turn towards the mercy of God, for my salvation comes from the Lord. Only he can save me. See, Jonah experienced mercy. And understand this. Mercy by nature is preemptive. It's given before it's really deserved. Or it isn't mercy. And Jonah has this little micro experience of what the gospel is. That the gospel tells us that God loved us before we loved him. He loved us first. That God loved Caleb before he, Caleb loved him. He really did. And he sought me with his love, and his mercy was chasing me and chasing me. And finally, for me, it was when I was 17. And I laid in my bed, devastated, torn in pieces by my, my life up till then, and what I was doing. Just, I was, and I just said, help? I don't want to do this anymore. And I turned and I found, look at that, an overwhelming mercy from God. And Jonah had experienced that, that God loved us before we loved him. So then we're asked, as we move into chapter 4, then the question is, okay, then how will Jonah respond to other people that he despises or to the worst of the worst in the world receiving the same thing he's received? How will he respond to his enemies receiving the same mercy he received? And so let's see. Chapter 4, verse 1. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. And he became very angry. So he complained. Now, these are loaded words. Don't miss it. Here's basically what that's saying. Is that it says it greatly upset him. It means, it may, like when you go, oh, this is wrong. So Jonah does. Oh, God, this is wrong. This shouldn't be this way. And this anger is a very angry, is a, a, a loaded word to say like, you know when you feel that flame of fire light within you and you just want to rage? That's what Jonah feels. God, how could you do this? You did an evil thing. You did a bad thing, God. And I'm so, I'm so enraged at you, God. How could this be? And then he says, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? Continue on. That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are merciful and compassionate, God. You, I'm reading it with the tone. I knew that about you, God. I knew, God, that you're slow to get angry and you're filled with unfailing love. And I knew you're eager to turn back from destroying people. I knew that about you, God. That's why I didn't want to come here in the first place. That's why I got in that boat to sail away. I knew this about you. There's a surprise here because if you're, as a kid, you learn the story of Jonah and you kind of feel like the reason he doesn't want to go is he's scared of the Ninevites because they're evil. But that's not why. He's scared of God because he's merciful. He's scared of what might happen when he goes. He's scared of traveling all the way there, announcing judgment, and then him looking like a fool because God shows them mercy if they repent. He's scared of the people he despises experiencing the same mercy he's received. He doesn't want to go there. Because he knows God's a God who hears the cry of the, of the person in debt and imprisoned and enslaved. You know, the, when he says these things, he's quoting from, and you can write this down if you want, Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. 
Exodus 34, 6 and 7, Moses is the person God has used to rescue all the Israelites from their slavery in Egypt, to bring them out of the death that they were going to experience, to rescue them from their own slavery, to bring them freedom, brings them through the Red Sea, and now gives them his presence in a relationship. And, and Moses says, God, what, what are you like? And God says, I am a God, gracious, rich in mercy. I am a God full of steadfast love and compassion and ready to forgive. Ready to forgive. That's what I'm like. Well, so what does that mean? Everyone who was God's people in the whole world in those days and in these days were only God's people because this is true. And Jonah says, but I don't like when my enemies experience that. I don't like this. So it goes on in verse 4. And Jonah says this, Kill me, Lord. Just kill me now. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. I had a great conversation a little bit ago about this reality that Jonah's trying to be a prophet. So he goes there and makes this big announcement. And now it proves not to happen well, does he look like a false prophet? Does he look like a fool? But God, if, if they're not going to get destroyed, then just kill me. And the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Now remember these two phrases. I'd rather be dead. And then God says, is it right for you to be angry about this? Now Jonah doesn't answer. He doesn't say anything. Um, and here's... Here's the point, and it's on the slide before this, actually. It says this, that God loves people even when we don't. Amen. That God loved us before we loved Him. So even before we loved Him. And God loves others before we love others sometimes, too. That God loves people even when we don't. And you know, listen, if you get into Jonah's shoes and you think about this story, the Ninevites— it was like the Nazis of the ancient world. I mean, they were legendary for their wickedness. And if you get into Jonah's shoes, there's a way in which it's like, well, this judgment's got to come. How can they experience mercy? And yet they do. So he says, just kill me now. I'd rather be dead. And God says, is it right for you to be angry about this? And then Jonah doesn't answer that. And moving on to verse 5 and 6, here's what he says. Verse 5 says, Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. So Jonah, he, what does he do? God says, should you be angry? He's like, eh. no words. And he goes up on a hill on the outside of Nineveh to look over this big city and he builds himself a little shelter and he sits down to wait and see. And the implication here is that Jonah is saying, well, maybe, maybe their repentance will be fake and I'll get to see this happen the way that I predicted. And then I can go back to Israel and say, I predicted the downfall of Nineveh and look what happened to them. They're so wicked. And so he sits there to wait. And it goes on and then it says this. Now Jonah is going to experience a little teaching time from God. The Lord arranged, arranged and notice that the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort. And Jonah was very grateful for the plant. All right, 
God, you showed mercy. You're not going to crush these people. I'm so mad. Oh, bam. I'm building this stinking shelter. I'm going to watch. I'm sitting down mad. Plant, sun off his face, a little cool breeze. I like this. And when it says eases discomfort, that's literally saying it relieved that anger he felt at first. Because now he was getting comfortable. And, and notice the contrast. Jonah finds great joy in experiencing more mercy himself. He doesn't do the plant thing. God does the plant thing. And he does, God didn't have to do that. Jonah sure doesn't deserve that. But he experiences more mercy. And Jonah finds great joy in that, in the mercy that makes him more comfortable, even while he was angered that the Ninevites would receive any mercy at all. But God's not done with his teaching time yet. He's setting Jonah up. So he's under this beautiful plant, little shade, nice breeze. Oh, this is good. You know what? I'm feeling a little better while I sit here and watch and see if Nineveh gets burned up. In verse 7, God has another little bit of, little bitty plan. Literally, little bitty. God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that the stem withered away. The plant withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for, you see this God arranged? He arranges for the plant. Here's some more mercy. A little temporary experience of it. Then God arranges for a worm that eats it up so now it withers away. And then the, when the sun gets hot, God arranges for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. That is like the hot breath of God hitting him. All right? Heat just blazing against him. He's burning up. There's now no shade. And he's sitting in the middle of this. And look at this. Until he grew faint and wished to die. Jonah just cycles this. And look what it says next. It says this, verse 8. Death is certainly better than living like this, hot and sweaty and tired. He exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about this? You hear that? Repeating again. Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? This time Jonah answers, Yes. Even angry enough to die. The plant died. Don't you know what happened, God? So there's two cycles where, where the first time Jonah receives on an undeserved mercy and then his enemies received undeserved mercy and then Jonah is angry and wants to die and then God says, should you be angry about this? And then cycle two, Jonah again experiences this undeserved mercy in this plant over his head that shades him from the heat of the sun and makes him more comfortable. And then that undeserved mercy isn't experienced and Jonah is angry because he thinks he deserves it to keep it, and he wants to die. So the first time Jonah is really angry because people are receiving mercy that he doesn't think deserve it, and the second time he thinks he deserves to keep on experiencing the mercy himself. And there's something about that correlation, I think, that if we start to think that we deserve God's mercy, we'll start to think we're supposed to determine if other people deserve it as well. Jonah, it's like he'd forgotten. Like, the, the drowning thing, the fish thing, that was mercy. Israel even existing, that's mercy. The, the plant over my head, that's mercy. And mercy, if it's deserved, 
isn't mercy at all. But when he starts to think he's entitled to it, he deserves it, that often causes us to start to think other people don't. But mercy, by definition, cannot be earned. And so after this experience where Jonah's just so mad at God and yelling at him, and, and God brings him through this story, and now this plant, the worm, all this, he comes to the other side. He's angry again. And now God gives the closing statements of this short little book, the story of a prophet wrestling with God. And he says this, And the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. And you feel so sorry about that. You're moved deep within your heart about this plant. And he says, But Nineveh, that city you're looking at down there in that valley, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Another way of understanding that, it says they don't know their right hand from their left. They're just stuck. They don't know good from evil. They've been just buried in darkness. 120,000 people living in darkness, not to mention all the animals, which is kind of a funny addition. But he says, if you feel sorry about the plant that you had nothing to do with, shouldn't I feel sorry about, feel, be moved with compassion for 120,000 people that are, are image bearers of me that have been living trapped in their spiritual darkness and are crying out for help? Shouldn't I be moved for that? And the implications are, Jonah, shouldn't you be glad that I am? favorite Bible teachers is, his name's Tim Mackey, and this isn't on the slides, but he says this, that God loves your enemies. And aren't we all glad that God loves his enemies? See, Jonah is, in chapter 4, having to reconcile that, you know what? He might look like a fool who prophesied wrongly about judgment. He, 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 he's going to have to look at a God who, who shows mercy and see people who he thinks are wicked experience the same mercy he's received. What he's realizing is, going back to the song before this, he's not the king who decides who gets mercy. He's not. See, God's love doesn't answer to us. God's love doesn't answer to us. God doesn't have to ask Caleb whether he should love someone. I'm not the king of God to determine whether he should seek someone with his love. The person I despise, the person I'm disgusted by, the person that I, that I think isn't important, I don't determine that. That has nothing to do with God's pursuit of them. God's love doesn't answer to me. But our love, our love answers to God. Our love answers to God. The way we're to love others is under the the authority of Him. He's the King. He's in charge. So love is to be given to those He he loves. And love is to look like what He says is to look like in how I treat others. And I'll be honest, I know this is true. 
God's love does not leave room for me to despise people, to want them to get it. It just doesn't leave room for that. And God's love doesn't leave room for me to treat people like they are, uh, uh, like I'm repulsed by them and to avoid them at all costs. It doesn't leave room. And I'm saying, Lord, every, I, I feel the Lord keep on pressing that deeper and deeper in my heart. And God's love doesn't leave room for me to dismiss others, human beings, as unimportant. God's love calls me to agree with Him. You know, I think probably the best way to learn to love difficult people is to realize we're difficult people. I'm the difficult person. You're the difficult person. And Jesus has loved us. See, when Jesus says, love your enemies, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's really echoing what we've heard through the Old Testament, even we see through Jonah as well. Love your enemies. Why? Do what Jesus did for you. And do what Jesus is doing for others. Join him. Jesus only asks us to do what he did for us and what he is doing for others. So his love calls us to love other people. Our neighbors, our family, our co-workers. His love calls us to serve people. His love calls us to share the gospel with people that they need to know him so they can experience mercy and life. And his love calls us to speak truth. I think about the, the function of this book of Jonah in the life of Israel in the Old Testament and then throughout history in the life of the community of God's people. It, it really does, we can tie it in back into what this series is about. It's challenging us that love is the hardest thing we do. The Jesus kind of love is the hardest thing we do. And I want to say that because there's a lot of different versions of love. But the Jesus kind of love is the hardest thing we do. The self-sacrificing, truth-speaking, servant kind of love is the hardest thing we do. But love is the most important thing that God has done for us. That the love expressed in him sending his son to die on the cross for us, to redeem us, to pursue me, Caleb, with his love. Love is the most important thing he has done for me. And the Jesus kind of love, if we'll be the kind of church that embraces the sacrificial Jesus kind of love, yes, it'll be the hardest thing we do, but it'll be the most significant thing we do. And we will probably find it is the best way to live. One of the great paradoxes of the whole thing in this life is that often the things that are easiest for us are not what's best, but is that which is costly, which proves, proves to be priceless. And if we'll live this kind of way, the Jesus kind of love, we will see our world experience Him. We're going to sing a song, and it's going to really draw us right back into this reality that what kind of God is it that we belong to? Well, the first verse, the first time I sang it up here, I broke down because it's my story. When I was young, you called my name. I tried to run, but still you came, and you stepped into the dark.
of my own life and my own heart because that's the kind of God you are. And our world needs to know that kind of God. But the way they'll get to know him is if we start to look more and more like him. Let's pray. Lord, um, I pray that you would, first of all, it may be some of us in here are Nineveh. And we've never known you. And we have never turned our hearts to you. We've never uh, cried out to you for your mercy to come into relationship with you. So Lord, if, we're, if we are like Nineveh today, I pray today that we would respond to your invitation. And we would come to trust in you and experience forgiveness and mercy and life. Lord, maybe some of us are like Jonah. And we are, we've been fighting with you and wrestling with you and not wanting to obey you. And we've been maybe even creating some self-destruction in our own life. And Lord, if we're like Jonah, then may we, may we also call out upon your mercy that rescued Jonah, that was patient with Jonah, that we would experience that same restorative grace ourselves. And Lord, wherever we're at, would you make us like the God we see in the book of Jonah? Would you make us like you? Give us your heart. Give us your, your ways. Fill us with your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.